1: Talk is about to begin. Hey, hey, hey! Come on in. Back on a Tuesday, Buckeye Talk with some analysis of some news. Carnell Tate, the latest Ohio State recruiting commitment, Doug Maurice, and Stephen Means, a five-star receiver. Stephen, in the class of 2023, were you surprised by this? That this went down on Monday, or was this the expectation?
0: No, this was pretty much the expectation. Uh, but to be honest with you, there I understand that there were people who were out there being very cautious because there's been a level of patience that's had to be had. And there is some NIL impact here and why that patience had to be had. Cardinal Tate, the number 28 player, number three wide receiver in the country, goes to IMG, but he is from Chicago. And Ohio State's been the constant here. Last year at this time, he had a commitment day for October 8th, and it felt like Ohio State versus Notre Dame. Then he backed off of that, and then it was Ohio State versus Tennessee because NIL stuff was allegedly out there. And then it was Ohio State versus LSU, and then it was Ohio State versus Tennessee again. But it was constantly Ohio State versus somebody. And as I've said on this pod and I've written and I've texted, it came down to what did Cardinal Tate want? Did he want to be the next in line of a room that's pretty loaded already? Or did he want to go somewhere where he was going to play immediately? And as we
1: saw on Monday, he signed up to be next in line. So who, who in the end was the bigger threat? It Did did it not feel like at some point there was some Notre Dame juice to him? Did the Notre Dame stuff ever like feel real to you or not really?
0: It felt real last fall. And I think once... Other elements started to get involved here. I think Notre Dame kind of realized where it stood in all this. I don't want to say they backed off because this is a five-star receiver, but the longer this went, the less likely it would be that he'd end up
1: in South Bend. So Again, it's it's always worth looking at the flip side. As much as we have talked about Notre Dame and Ohio State, as much as we have talked about Marcus Freeman's impact on recruiting, as much as we have talked about Notre Dame is, is clearly, I think, raising the level of the guys they are going after. It feels like most of the best players in the Midwest, top 100 guys, are absolutely on their radar this would have been one of those where if he would have announced for Notre Dame today, if Notre Dame would have maintained that momentum, this could have been a bit of a game changer, right? That if Notre Dame would have won this, now listen, you know, Chicago, frankly, should be Notre Dame's recruiting ground. If Notre Dame had beaten Ohio state head to head for this, we would have really noticed, right?
0: It would have probably been Marcus Freeman's first significant win in what is now him trying to pull that Ohio state flag out of the Midwest ground, because even with Brennan Vernon, that's a kid from a Catholic school. If you've ever had a conversation with him, Brennan Vernon, a 2023 defensive lineman, top one to recruit. If you've ever had a conversation with him, everything about him screams, he was going to be a Notre Dame football player. Uh, Outside of that, Ohio state has locked down Ohio with Luke Montgomery and Austin Veld and Joshua Padilla. And the list goes on and on and on this kid being from Chicago and being a five-star and that, you know, as I wrote last summer, Marcus Freeman, I declare war on Ohio state. This would have been his first battle that he would have won in Ohio state. As you, as I mentioned, they stayed in the race when things got a little wonky there and it felt like Notre Dame faded to the background.
1: Why do they like this guy? Why is, why is Carnell Tate who is ranked as the number three receiver in this class, as you said, why is he somebody that was at the top of Brian Hartline's list? Six
0: two, one eighty five, And he is a problem against press man coverage on the outside. And I, Heartline had gotten into this rhythm of getting a bunch of six foot one ninety guys who all look the same, and then he got Marvin Harrison, and it kind of changed. he doesn't get locked in that I want this specific size and this specific receiver. But Marvin Harrison was the first one where it was like, okay, I believe you when you say that type of thing. And that's the lineage he's from. The taller, bigger receiver who isn't slow, can still move like a smaller guy, and is a problem in one-on-one coverage on the outside.
1: Okay, so he is the second receiver in this 2023 class for Ohio State. We'll reset the class here in a second. Number three receiver, according to the 247 Sports Composite Rankings. Bryson Rogers, the number 32 receiver in the class of 2023, according to the 247 Sports Receiver Rankings. Two more receivers in this group. Do they want to get to four in this class, Stephen?
0: Yes, and I can go ahead and go into the names if you would like. Uh, Brandon Innes and Noah Rogers were both here over the weekend, and those would be they would love to have those two be number three and number four and number 18 player and number two wide receiver from Florida. He and Cardinal Tate play seven on seven together. Uh, he's and was the number one receiver for a long time. And I won't be shocked if he at some point reclaims that position. And the other guy, Noah Rogers, number 50 player, the number nine wide receiver out of North Carolina who had a fun little travel thing this weekend where he was supposed to be at Ohio state. He had some flight problems. So that instead, they were going to just go to NC State and get that not un- official visit out the way. Then they ended up finding a flight late, so we did get up here. So that's a good thing. Ohio State is on pace to have four wide receivers, and in an ideal world, these would be the two
1: who join them. What do we think is the timeline on Ennis on and the second Rodgers? Could they pop this month? They've both made their official visits, you said. Or do they have other official visits lined up that they are sort of waiting on? before they make their final decision?
0: Ennis is done. He went to Bama the first week, and that was the first time he'd ever been there, and then he was at Ohio State this past weekend. Uh, Noah Rogers still has a North Carolina official visit coming up this you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so it might be a little bit of time on that one the nc state i would assume he'd probably go back there at some point because where he's from in north carolina uh, rollsville is like 30 minutes from nc state's campus so it's not that big of a hassle for him to get there but i would say we're in the window for Ennis and rogers the moment he comes off of that north
1: carolina visit i wonder if tim beck's recruiting noah rogers do we know that? Is Tim Beck. Tim Beck, offensive coordinator at North Carolina State. North Carolina State, a dark horse for a lot of people in that ACC race this year. They beat Clemson last year. They might be one of the two best teams in the ACC. If you are looking for playoff dark horses, NC State is on people's radars. It's one of those things, Stephen, where I think if NC State can just keep Noah Rodgers from committing, not that they would stop recruiting him. But if they can keep him committing and like maybe show him like hey like the best team in in a power 5 conference is down the street from your house that would be a big get for them. I could mm-hmm. see he I'm sure he is like the top guy on their entire board. NC State keep Noah Rogers in the great state of North Carolina is uh Tim Beck's probably number 1 pursuit in this recruiting class, right?
0: Yeah, I mean they had plenty of momentum, and then he showed up in Columbus for the spring game, and since then it's just felt like Ohio State's running away with this one. And that while it would have been a bad thing for Ohio State if he didn't get on the flight and end up going there, that would have gone a long way if NC State could have just like kept him in North Carolina this past weekend. So yeah, they're they're putting up a good fight. It's just you know, if Bama's Bama,
1: well when it comes to wide receivers, Brian Hartline's Brian Hartline. It doesn't look like it. it's Tim Beck by the way. I just am looking up his 247 profile. It's actually Joker Phillips, longtime uh, receivers coach around college football. One of Urban's friends, I think, uh, but they don't list him back there. So, No. Rogers, Clemson official on June 3rd. Steven, as you said, just was at Ohio State, has North Carolina lined up for this coming weekend. He's a 6'2", 180 guy. I- I'll tell you, Steven, there is nothing, you could not line up college football writers fast enough to put out tweets on Monday afternoon after Cardell Tate committed, they were <laughs> like, Oh, well, I wouldn't want to be if, if it's Godzilla versus Brian Hartline's recruiting, I'd take Brian Hartline's recruiting. Um, if Brian Hartline's recruiting was rocket fuel, we would have colonized Mars by now. Everybody's trying to figure out how verbose they can be with their praise for Brian Hartline. It's not, I mean, it's fine, but it's they all just want them to like it, their know, tweets, Doug. I know, like my tweet, like my tweet. So not to be, I mean, not to be weird about it. The class of 2020, they get the number one receiver recruit in the country in Julian Fleming, right? Mm-hmm. Class of 2021, they get the number one receiver recruit in the country in Emeka Buka. Last year, it's great, right? But the four receivers they got in the end in the 247 sports composite ratings were the 13, 14, 21, and 26 receivers in the class. Again, I'm sure Brian Hartley would tell you, I don't think they're all in the teens. I'd take these guys over anybody. Caleb Burton was much higher rated, had an injury, that kind of thing. He
0: was the, he was the number one wide receiver in the country at the time. He when they got him, the right?
1: So, yes. you know, it's like Jack Miller, but it's like stuff happens. We get it. But in the end, but this was, they didn't quite have, an Emeka Egbuka, Julian Fleming. In the end, mm-hmm. in last year's receiver group, the way they have Carnell Tate now, and they're right in it for Brandon Ennis. So, if you were a college football writer who had a, you know, um, if uh, Brian's Brian Hartline's recruiting was a neck, it'd be longer than a giraffe's and stronger than Pete Warner's. You know, like if you had a <laughs> a, a tweet holstered about Brian Hartline's recruiting. You maybe had to wait a year because, you know, there wasn't a Carnell Tate that wound up with a rating this high in last year's class. So, congratulations to all the writers who, and good luck getting, good luck letting the Brian Hartline heart. We'll see who gets a heart from Brian Hartline. But this is big, right? Is this, it's one of those things. If you're going to be Brian Hartline, you're going to be Ohio State's receiver recruiting, you're that because you do this. So, it's not unexpected, but this is still a pretty, huge deal right
0: very huge deal this is his fourth five-star in three classes if I'm not mistaken Fleming Jackson the Jigba Ibuka and now Tate and potentially another one on the way and Brandon Ennis I I mean this is a quality way to start off your coaching career now granted he's at Ohio State as I've mentioned on the pod it's not like he's doing this at Cincinnati where it's like how are you doing this? You're at the you're in a ground where this is possible to do this especially with the way they recruit quarterbacks here but yeah, this is a quality start to Brian Hartline's career but also it does help when the class before maybe isn't filled with guys who could help you in year 1, it's yeah. easier to go out there and get two or three guys who could
1: in the very next year. So it's really difficult because Garrett Wilson helped in year 1, but Garrett Wilson helped in year 1 Cause he was sort of squeezing in some the playing time player. with Ben Victor and Austin <laughs> yeah. Mack and no offense to any of those guys, but he wasn't trying to take playing time away from Jackson Smith and Jigba and Chris Olave mm-hmm. Jackson Smith and Jigba was the most ready guy in his class. And he did not really play in year one mm-hmm. because he had Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams ahead of him. How fast can Tate play? And I do we just have to take receivers off the Garrett Wilson plan? Because Garrett Wilson executed his plan not when they were recruiting at this level across the board. Garrett Wilson wasn't a start. Does it just make much more sense for basically everybody to be on the Jackson Smith and Jigba plan? Which is, yeah, a little morsel of a highlight in year one. Give us a little toe tap. Hey, I'll give you a blowout, make a play. And then year two is when you really play and do something.
0: Yes. And which is the actual five-star plan. Even if you are ready in year one, if you're playing in year one, that means that somebody didn't do their job in the years before you. Alabama does this and Georgia do this with running backs all the time. Najee Harris was the number one running back and the number two player in his class. And, He didn't do much until his junior year, and now he's a first-rounder and might be one of the better running backs in the NFL. So, yes, ideally, you spend your freshman year learning. You're learning the playbook, learning how you do stuff, and you get the flash and the blowout games early in the season. And then in year two, you should be fighting to be in the rotation or be a starter or however many they play on a year-to-year basis. So could Cardinal Tate ideally play next year this in 2023 if they needed him to? Yes. Do I expect him to play? No, because Marvin Harrison and at least Mar- at least Marvin Harrison and Emeka Ibuka and Jaden Ballard will still be here at right. bare minimum. Plus the guys who are like Caleb Burton and Keon Grays and Kalen Brown and Kojo Antwi who might be ready to go. OK.
1: All right. We're going to take a quick break here on Buckeye Talk. When we come back, we'll reset this 2023 class where it is in the national ratings. Then we'll get into some receiver depth chart stuff next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. By the way, Stephen. So, also, uh, uh texting. Ooh, good time to get it. Stephen's firing off text. 614-350-3315. How, did we know... Tate announced only a couple days ago that he was making his choice on Monday, or was this timing sort of known for months?
0: I think, though, well, I wouldn't say months. I think we knew that there was a decision imminent after they wrapped up that seven on seven tournament in Las Vegas. And then he kind of put out a little still shot preview last, I want to say Wednesday saying that like uh, soon basically. So I think I had texted out then like, Hey, be on alert for this. This might be happening. That's when I started pre-writing stuff. And then Sunday or Saturday, one of these days this weekend, he put out a graphic with his top four saying that it was going to be on Monday, but we knew for about, two weeks that we were now in the carnell tate commitment window did
1: he make an official visit to ohio state
0: he did not but he's been to columbus like six or seven times that recruitment had gotten to a point where ohio state's like we've showed you everything and he's like you know everything about me we don't need
1: to do this anymore i know what this is you know what i am let me just make my decision so it would not go in the stats of hey you get the last official visit you get the commitment, correct? But he was here a lot, a couple days ago, right? And now he's a Buckeye. He just wasn't an official. It was for the seven on seven, so he was hanging out.
0: No, no, no. He did not come here. No, no, oh, no. The seven on seven not. tournament. That I'm talking about the one I'm talking about was in Las Vegas. Which oh, was a national okay. Thing. He has okay. not been here since April. He was here for the student oh, appreciation okay. day practice.
1: Okay. Okay so no official visits uh statistical stuff from this. He's just it, nope. a lot of knowledge on both sides for a, mm-hmm. a Chicago kid playing at IMG. All right, the class. They now have the number 2 class by the composite by the 247 composite ratings is that right in 2023?
0: Yes they do and the gap right now is 35.77 behind Notre Dame. Um yeah, they're back up. It's 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 been fun watching this year because it, One day, Ohio State's second, the next day they're ninth, and then they're fourth. It's just kind of all over the place right now.
1: So listen, again, nobody should ever apologize for this stuff. People care. It's interesting. And so you can only go by what's in front of you. It's hard to assume things. But, you know, there can be times when it's like, oh, you know, Ohio State's rating in March is only this. Why isn't it this? Are they? Now when we look at this, he's the first by the 247 sports rate ratings. He's the first five-star in. Notre Dame has one five-star. Clemson has one five-star. Penn State, Georgia each have one five-star. Tennessee, USC has two. Um, By number of commitments, Notre Dame's first with the overall point total, but they have 15 commitments. Ohio State is second. They have 11. Like Texas Tech is third. They have 20. But this number of commitments, you look at the teams, Notre Dame 15, Ohio State 11, Clemson 12, Penn State 13. Listen, like Cincinnati and Northwestern and Texas Tech are artificially high right now because they have 18 to 20 commitments, but Georgia has 11. Uh, USC has nine. Again, Bama kind of always waits. They're nowhere to be seen right now. I don't know. Do you know if, do you think Bama people are freaking out or is this just how Bama operates now that it's like, they'll get there. Of course they'll get there. There's no reason to worry that Bama is whatever, 59th in the recruiting rankings right now. Do you think Bama fans still are like, oh my God. No, because I've pretty much dedicated myself
0: every year to writing a, okay, Bama's getting started now, and it's about around July when that happens. I think programs are starting to now adjust to the fact that because of the early signing period, more people are taking their official visits in the summer, and so everybody's adjusting to that schedule. So there does seem to be this feeling, Ohio State's been doing it for a while now, but of let's just host a bunch of kids in June, and then we're going to see fireworks the rest of the summer leading up to the season. And that's not just an Ohio State thing
1: at this point. Bama 47th, right between Florida and Ole Miss, just ahead of Western Michigan. Bama hanging on Bama with a slight (laughs) six-point lead on Western Michigan. Bama with four commits, Western Michigan with 13. So again, there are some schools you get them in, you get them in early while they're interested. You try to lock them down, then you try to hold off the flips. You know, again, Northwestern and Cincinnati, I think are both really, there's been a lot of, sort of buzz about Cincinnati recruiting, Stephen. Sixth in the nation right now. 20 commitments in just by comparison, for instance. Ohio State, 11 commitments. It's one five-star, nine four-stars, and one three-star. Okay, Cincinnati, 20 commitments, zero five-stars, three four-stars, 16 three-stars, and then that means there's one two-star in there. The point totals are the point totals, but that gives you an indication. It's just Cincinnati's getting a lot of work done early. Mm-hmm. Good for those schools, but it's not like Cincinnati is recruiting quite at Ohio State's level right now.
0: Correct. It's a quality Cincinnati class, though. So shout out to Luke Fickle for taking advantage of the playoff pump.
1: And it is, and you should. Because, you know, we sort of talked about it as like, is Michigan taking advantage of the playoff bump? Like Cincinnati is trying to keep the momentum going in a way that I think, for instance, Michigan, who is 35th right now with seven commits, two four stars and five three stars. You know, I don't know that Michigan is is seizing the same kind of playoff momentum. Okay, so is this track timing 11 commits quantity as of right now in mid-June? quality as of right now in mid-June is this class on track to be a typical Ohio State recruiting class Stephen
0: yes there's one defensive lineman and it's a guy who's five minutes from your um, campus Larry Johnson works late so I'll think about defensive line recruiting later in life I think the wide receiver recruiting Is behind a little bit, just because, just as far as like timetable. I think heartlines I joked with him about this one day. He's used to heading into the summer and his guys are already locked up, but it's fine. I just mentioned to you who the options are, so it's not like he's losing it a little bit. Obviously, we know what's going on with quarterback, how they're trying to find their Mac Jones version. So there's no quarterback right now, and all the other positions. Kevin Wilson's had his guy longer than everybody, even though he likes to bring every tight end in the world and for workouts during these camps all the other positions are at spots where there's new assistants for oh, yeah. outside of running back. Um, If they add a second one, but everywhere else, it's like it's cornerbacks, it's linebackers, it's safety, like guys where they're still trying to build relationships with these assistant coaches. So yes, they're in a good spot. 11 guys, maybe a couple more on the way over the next few weeks. They're still on pace. I think the offense will be done by the time we, Kickoff against Notre Dame defense. Uh, I'm a little shaky about, but I think the offensive recruiting will be shored up and pretty much locked up by the time we get to the actual regular season.
1: So, by the way, I'm Brandon Ennis. The, the crystal balls on two four seven sports seventy one percent for Ohio State, twenty nine percent for USC.
0: Yeah, somebody That's-
1: has a, a USC on a scale of one to ten. Their you know uh, confidence level. Greg Biggins has a seven for USC for yeah. Brandon Innes. That would be, is this gonna this is a Florida, Fort Lauderdale guy, again, same high school as um Torrance Gibson. Would this be is this shaping up to be a potentially another Ohio State USC passing game battle, just the way Dylan Royola was?
0: I would be very shocked if USC still has a horse in this race. I think I don't want to call people lazy. I think he was committed to Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. So there has been some assumptions because a lot of other people who were committed to Oklahoma when they had Lincoln Riley just flipped to USC. And so they just assumed everybody else was going to do that. I think, I don't know if this is a battle right now. I think Heartline has done a very good job of taking advantage of the fact that Brandon Innes' recruitment reopened. Okay. I hope that didn't sound as sound harsh because it sounded really harsh.
1: No, mind. it's fine. But it's again the idea okay. that you make an assumption. It's not an unreasonable assumption, but if the assumption is yeah. not really true anymore, then if that's the baseline of the USC thinking, then it might the situation might be a little deeper than that. That's fine. We can say that we're allowed to create. We're all big. We're all big people here. We can handle it. Um, okay. So. We know Heartline likes to get four receivers in a class. Two are in. Steven has told you the two guys who are at the top of the list to add for the rest of these classes. Let's then think about the Ohio State receiver room as it stands. I think everybody understands right now Jackson Smith and Jigba is the star this season, and then we expect Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mekag Buka, who are both second-year players, and Julian Fleming as third-year player. To have prominent roles. Those will be your four receivers. We then see Jackson Smith and Jigba head off into the NFL. As we sit and try to project now, Stephen, a couple of the the next couple years of the Ohio State receiver room, for the moment, should we operate under the assumption that Julian Fleming is around in 2023
0: or no? I think that's a safer bet for what we're trying to do right now. Yeah, he'll be around.
1: Okay, so if we do that, then the 2023 group would be Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison, Emeka Egbuka, with Harrison and Egbuka as third-year guys, Fleming as a fourth-year guy. Do you think we would potentially be in a world, Stephen, where those are sort of the three guys, just like last year? They had three guys who played, and that's kind of it? Or who would you have highest on the list of, a third-year Jaden Ballard, or maybe one of these guys who are going to be true freshmen right now, who as a second-year mm-hmm. guy would work in in twenty-three, or Fleming stays has so just slotted nicely to basically run with those three dudes.
0: I think if there is a second-year guy who is going to pop, it'd be Keon Grace. I think just because he might bring a skill. Him and Jaden Ballard might have the skill, but the same skill set, but Keon Grace's ceiling might be a little bit higher. Okay. And if you're looking for, since we don't really know what Julian is all the way yet, if you're still looking for that guy that you have to have in this offense who's to take the top off the defense guy because it opens up everything else, I think Keon Grace has that ability.
1: But it certainly is possible that there just won't be a ton of snaps for second-year receivers in 2023 because Mm -hmm. Marvin Harrison and Emeka Gbuka are going to be potential third-year stars. And if Julian Fleming's back as a fourth-year guy – and not that they're never going to have fourth-year receivers, but the way it sort of operates right now is you kind of don't count on it. That You sort of figure by their fourth year, they're either popped and they're in the NFL – Or they maybe saw that it was a little crowded here and they decided to transfer. I don't know. And again, Cameron Babb hovers over all of this. Everybody hopes Cameron Babb is healthy. We just don't know what's happening. But I don't know that we're going to see a ton of fourth-year receivers at Ohio State in the Brian Hartline era, are we? No. I mean, that's not my
0: assumption right now you either... It's just hard to see it.
1: You're either... Because if, you, if you're if you waiting, so if you're sort of like, well, you know, there might be some guys ahead of me, I'm going to wait. You, it's just very possible that anybody who's waiting here might be good enough to play somewhere else and may have yeah. decided after year two, you know what? I really want to get on the field in year three mm-hmm. and I don't know that it's going to happen here. I'm going to go. Whether it's Jamison Williams or whether even, you know, Mookie Cooper went after year one. There might be mm-hmm. just be some really good receivers who see the writing on the wall.
0: So it's almost you've got two years to figure it out here, and whether it's you know you know that either way you know after your third year you're going to the NFL draft. The only question is, are you going to count towards Ohio State's
1: draft stats or not? Yeah, but it could be one of those. Listen, Jaden Ballard, as an in-state guy who people feel That's like the difference, he's yes. on a track. He's on a track. There is something here for him. You could get to something in 2024. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. Say we think that 2023 might be a whole lot of Fleming, Harrison, and Enigbuka. Then for 2024, they're going to be all gone. Mm -hmm. Because Harrison and Enigbuka will be three years and out. And if Fleming is back for year four, he won't be back for year five. We wouldn't anticipate. And so all of a sudden, in 2024, the floodgates are open for a bunch of third-year guys who maybe have not played that much. And we'll dive into that mm-hmm. a little bit more after this on Buckeye Talk. Stephen and Doug back. So the thing that, that really could happen here, Steven, we know, what tw- we know what this season is. We can really see so- a somewhat clear path for 2023. 2024 could be the four receivers who are true freshmen this year who will be entering their third years Caleb Brown, Caleb Burton, Keon Grays, and Kojo Antwi, and then Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, and the the Rodgers brothers, if they both wind up here. As second-year guys, you would potentially, Stephen, be looking at eight receivers who have not played very much and cannot wait to get on the field, and that spring is going to be like a demolition derby of these eight guys who are all on kind of equal footing fighting to play. And I think you would then after that spring in 2024, have some things become clear where maybe it's an eight man race to start and maybe two or three are gone after spring practice because they see the writing on the wall. And then by August, you're trying to figure out who are the three, four or five guys that are going to play.
0: This is a headache.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I, I talk. I, it's right. It's one of the you have to have a pen for this one. I should have told everyone. Yeah. Do you, are there any people? I'm going to drop some old guy stuff. Anybody on here? I think it was on Captain Kangaroo picture pages. Do you guys ever do picture pages? Picture pages. Picture pages. Time to do your picture pages. Time to get your crayons and your pencils. Picture pages, picture pages, lots of fun with picture pages, come on. Hey, Doug. Oh, it was a Bill Cosby thing. What? I
0: was born in 1994.
1: It was Bill Cosby. Oh, my gosh. Picture pages got canceled. I didn't even realize it. Time to let Bill Cosby do a picture page with you. Oh, oh, I just had like a moment. My childhood just exploded in front of me. Time to let Bill Cosby do a picture page with you. I loved getting out my crayon and my pencil I was gonna say get out your pen for Buckeye talk
0: I need a moment 19, wow 1994 Doug
1: 1994 um, I'll let Bill Cosby do a picture page with you all right I know there's a couple of people out there who are elbowing their children and saying picture pages picture pages I should I should warn you ahead of time when you need a pen for Buckeye talk it's just I don't interesting Stephen. The positioning, I, I just think this stuff is so interesting. The positioning of stuff, right? Where it's like, well, last year, you know, there J- Jameson Williams left and that opened up a lane for Jackson Smith and Jigba and then he went crazy. Now Jackson Smith and Jigba is kind of the only guy back. So there's lanes for Fleming and Harrison and Ibuka. But then next year, if Fleming stays, like all three lanes might kind of be jammed up, which doesn't mean that Carnell Tate and Caleb Burton and Keon Grays aren't great players, but there just might not be lanes for them, Stephen, to play in year two or to have any chance to play in year one. It's just a lot. so much depends on who's ahead of you, but whether there are two guys blocking you or one or three or did someone get hurt or was there a transfer that was unexpected. It really matters kind of to the development of these guys because you just could see how Marvin Harrison and Mecca Ekbuka like might have a really nice path. To two years of gigantic roles in this offense, and the guys behind them, and the two classes behind them, just might have a harder time doing that. Or
0: I'm going to be annoying and say the six man rotation is not dead. dead.
1: Here for it, right? Love it. I gen- and
0: the whole point of is the six man rotation dead? Isn't? Are they never going to do it again? It's are they? They're never just going to do it for the sake of doing it. So when you have the number 10 and the number 11 and potentially a top five draft pick as your starting receivers, duh, you're not taking that off the field. But every single receiver who comes in here, while they might be a first rounder, they're not all going to be top five pick, number 10, number 11. Some of them are going to be 28. Some of them, T. Higgins was a really good college football receiver, and he was the first non first rounder taken. So that's just everybody's not going to come here and be a first rounder. So, if you think that after this season, when it's very obvious Jackson Smith the Jigba shouldn't come off the field, and, okay, ideally Marvin Harrison probably shouldn't come off the field, what if that's not the case in 2023? What if the gap between, as as awesome as we're talking about what Emeka Ibuki is, what if the gap between him and Keon Grays isn't that large? What if the gap between Chayden Ballard and Keon Grays isn't that large? Okay, then you start rotating again. But it all depends on... Brian Hartline says there are six spots, but I will easily make it three, and I'll even make it two if only two guys show me they deserve to play.
1: No, I think I think that's smart. I think, again, that's it's rotate from strength, don't rotate from weakness. Rotate because there are that many guys mm. who deserve to be on the field, and none of them maybe are going to be the first – are going to be a top ten pick, so you have room to do mm-hmm. all of that. The thing that is a little – interesting is there there really can just be a huge difference i think the difference between three receivers in the class and four receivers in the class is kind of gigantic because three can feel just right and four can feel heavy the guys like the third yep. year guys now right it was a four man class julian fleming jackson smith and jigba mookie cooper and g scott mookie cooper transfers mm-hmm. g scott changes positions now they're in year three and only two of the four are here the class below them, there are only three, and one of them is an Ohio guy. Mm-hmm. So like Buka and Harrison, they have their – it helps. If G. Scott, if G. Scott and Mookie Cooper were here still and playing receiver, life would be a lot more difficult for like Buka and Harrison. Mm-hmm. Some things opened up. They have a spot. And then you think about Jaden Ballard. Would he maybe just be slightly more patient because he's an Ohio guy? But then you look, this next class, the true freshman, Stephen, four receivers – no Ohio guys, right? Mm-hmm. And then the group that they are pulling together right now, they want it to be four receivers, might be no Ohio guys. So if though if you're going to have back-to-back four-man classes and none of them are from Ohio, there's just no way you can expect all eight of those guys to get to year three, right? Yeah. Like I, I buy – your idea about being more open to the six man rotation, but that's just too many guys, too much talent. Mm-hmm. And again, Cameron Babb is supremely talented. He's had some injury issues. Probably somebody will face that to some degree. Cause that just happens, but you can look it at it. You can look it at it and it can feel crowded, but also as we know, they also realize they do this. Heartline does this knowing. I'm not so sure in the end, Stephen, if it's almost like you recruit four by year three, two make it, one transfers, and then one maybe has something happen, whether it's an injury or position switch or just something mm-hmm. holds back his development and it allows him to be patient. What we've seen with this four-man class of, of third-year guys – Cooper transfer, G. Scott position switch, Fleming, frankly, injuries that might make him a little more patient, and JSN pops. That actually might be how we could expect these four-man receiver classes that we're going to see this year and we think in next year's recruiting class. That might be kind of a good way to think about how things might work out.
0: I don't hate it because it still gets you the best ones. Jackson is still here. and To be fair, with all due respect to G. Scott and Ricky Cooper, on signing day, if I told you these two are still Ohio State wide receivers, which two would you have picked? Right. So that's the goal. Fine. You fill up. It's it's no different than with the quarterback recruiting at this point. Even if you, every three or four years you've got to do what they're doing in twenty twenty three, you get all the best guys in here, and even if you lose some guys a long way, you still ended up with the best person. Best person, which like maximizes your chances of winning a national championship.
1: Right. No, I think that's right. Um. Can can we can we give a little nod to pulling? I, I know he's at IMG, right? But Carnell Tate, there's a, right the Chicago roots here are real, mm-hmm. so he'll mm-hmm. get counted as a Florida guy. But he's pretty Chicago-y, right? Do you know? Did they only yes. start recruiting him when once he went to M- IMG? No, were they in on him in Chicago?
0: They were in on him in Chicago. Last year was his first year at IMG, and he had already built a solid relationship with um, Brian Hartline at that point. Uh, He and Caleb Brown, who's the 2022 kid, they're really good friends. And that was actually like – he was like joking about it on Twitter the day that Caleb Brown actually committed about the Chicago to Columbus thing. So, yes, this is not a, oh, he went to IMG, and so now Ohio State knows who he is.
1: Which is what I want to talk about. Not a bad thing to be in on the skill guys in Chicago right? Again, that's a place that yeah. Notre, N- Notre Dame is kind of like Chicago's team. Wisconsin would love to be in Chicago. Illinois, Brett Bielema would love to own Chicago. I think Missouri would like to be in Chicago. Northwestern would like to keep a Chicago guy home every now and then. Michigan wants to be in mm-hmm. Chicago. To say that you pulled the best receiver out of Chicago in two consecutive recruiting classes, that's that's kind of a thing. Again, it's not we talk about areas where Ohio State's trying to take advantage. They're always going to be in a population center in the Midwest like Chicago, but this is, mm-hmm. that's something, right? That's something for them to go do that back to back.
0: Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's actually a trend. As national as the wide receiver recruitment is, there's always a Midwest guy. Fleming, Marvin Harrison Jr. is from PA. Now you've gone, now you're in Chicago. You start. You were in PA in the first few years. Now you're in Chicago. And where you're going next? Uh, well, Tashir Denmark's a PA guy who they're really high on in 2024. But yeah, as natural as it is, Heartline still
1: he's got some Midwest guys in here. Still, yeah. still holding that flag down. Like we're in St. Louis big time, right? For Mookie Cooper, yeah. for Cameron Babb. Mm-hmm. They were all over uh, for uh, uh, Cam Brown, who was like a. Defensive was backs, receiver slash receivers, yeah. right? Um, when you think about the four receivers last year that they got, Kayla Brown, Chicago, Kayla Burton, Texas, Keon Grays, Arizona, Kojo Antwi, Georgia. This year, Bryson Rogers, Florida, Carnell Tate, Chicago. And then the guys they're looking at, Brandon Ennis, Florida, Noah Rogers, North Carolina. So mm-hmm. again, that's still all over the place. And you still would look and say in – if this would be four recruiting classes for Brian Hartline at receiver at this level, um, it'd be 15 guys and one Ohio guy. So it would just be just be Jaden Ballard if, if Noah Rogers and Brandon Edison, in, in fact, are the guys that they add uh, as the last couple guys. Um, in this 2023 receiver recruiting class. So, okay. Was there ever, were you always like 90% sure in your mind that Carnell Tate would wind up in Columbus or was there, was there any time in the Notre Dame stuff or in the Tennessee stuff where you felt like, huh, I wonder that this one might be getting away from them.
0: Not with Notre Dame, but definitely with Tennessee. There was, I would say. For about four or five weeks there. I was like, hmm, the longer this goes on, the more I'm going to start thinking he's going to – and I might have said it on a pod that like uh, – when we did the little in or out thing, and I I think I said no to him being an Ohio State player, and then I had a conversation with somebody, and I was like, okay, cool, he's coming to Ohio State. But, yeah, there was maybe a month or so when I had convinced myself that Tennessee was going to do it again.
1: And it's one of these things, again, in an NIL world – NIL did not change this player's decision. Mm -hmm. And if it had been Tennessee, I think we would have been under the assumption, not that Tennessee is in the fine football program with a great tradition in the SEC. I think we would have been under the assumption. I don't think Tennessee would have hidden from this, that there probably Mm -hmm. was something related to NIL that changed that. And if we were on this podcast right now, either doing Notre Dame beats Ohio State for Carnell Tate, or Tennessee beats Ohio State for Carnell Tate. This is NIL in action, and Ohio State got beat on a player they would have gotten nine times out of 10 in the non NIL world. We would be going crazy. Not yeah. because, but just because it'd be proof, it'd be evidence NIL is here. If Caleb Downs doesn't wind up at Ohio State, we will say, hmm, I wonder if that. That seems maybe there were some I, And it doesn't mean that kids are, quote, like, taking the money because it's all allowed. And, of course, it's a factor. It would just have been a factor that got somebody over the edge. It's nothing against any player who allows NIL to influence his de- decision. It should. We are an Ohio State podcast, and we are looking at it from the Ohio State standpoint. This is one that did not change, Stephen. And we, we – as ever in life, when something changes, you go crazy, you also have to note when it doesn't change. And this didn't change, and that's a good sign for Ohio State. doesn't mean Ohio State doesn't have to be active in NIL, but I think it's a good sign for Ohio State. Because also, maybe they got some NIL stuff done here themselves mm-hmm. to make sure they didn't lose out on this one. Who knows?
0: It feels – because all the powers in college football are like whining a little bit too much about NIL, whether on the record or – at, you know, these business meetings, like one that you went at or like off the record, whatever, they're all whining about it. And right now it's feeling very boy who cried wolf all because Texas and them have 45 defensive linemen in their class. But had Cardinal T- Tate going to ten- Tennessee, it would have been like, see, I told you, I told you it's changing things. But now they can't say that because Cardinal Tate went to the type of school that a player of Cardinal Tate's calibers typically goes to.
1: And, I'm just stating this. This is my opinion. My opinion is Cardinal Tate and Ohio State definitely had NIL conversations during his recruitment. Because yes. he is one of the best receivers in the country. And of course they did. So we don't want to act like, oh, he didn't care about NIL. He went to Ohio State. The point is, and Ohio State's doing enough in NIL yes. that they did not lose out on a recruit that – they certainly were in position for in every other aspect in terms of getting the guy to the league, giving a kid with Midwest roots a chance to win a national championship, all those things. So if we were doing a Carnell Tate to Tennessee podcast today, we would have texters jumping through our phones, Stephen, going crazy. And not on un- not undeservedly, but going crazy about NIL, CCC. So maybe, maybe they got enough done here to keep this guy um on the hook. Carnell Tate committed to Ohio State. We have a big rapid fire pod that we already recorded. It's on the hook for Wednesday. Steven has more recruiting stuff planned later in the week. Really good pod planned for the end of the week about CJ Stroud that we've already recorded with Nathan, with Steven, with me. Um, this is gonna be I'm out after this. I'm gonna be on vacation for a bit, but we have some pre-recorded pods where you'll still hear me, but I won't be out and about. Uh, on the text and on the site as much Stephen's going to be holding it down And then Nathan is back from his leave Next Monday So Nathan is back in the flesh You'll be hearing him back live On Buckeye Talks but again we still have that one Pre-recorded one coming later On Friday For now For Steven Means I'm Doug LaMaurice and that was Buckeye Talk.